0: This is Paul Eckert with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to our podcast, Eyes on Asia, where we look each week at some of the key stories in the region as covered by RFA and the journalists who cover them. I'm joined by Matt Pennington, who heads up RFA's Southeast Asian Language Services. How are you doing,
1: Matt? I'm doing well, thanks, Paul. And I'm looking forward to this week's podcast. I think we've got an interesting combination of items.
0: Yes, we do. From the northeastern corner of Asia to Southeast Asia. Later in the podcast, I will be analyzing the outcome of the recent summit meeting of the leaders of the United States and South Korea, where President Joe Biden named a new envoy to North Korea, a job that entails a huge responsibility, but if history is any judge, little chance of success in persuading Pyongyang to give up its nukes. But before we consider those high-powered deliberations at the White House and the fate of North Korea's nuclear arsenal, our attention turns to Laos. RFA has often reported about how farming life in Southeast Asia is changing to satisfy the demand for export of crops and agricultural produce to China. That may generate jobs and commerce, but it clearly has negative impacts too. Oftentimes, the local environment suffers through overuse of pesticides and herbicides, as do the workers who tend the crops. Matt is looking at a particular case where some Lao laborers have paid the ultimate price for dirty and unpleasant work they do. Over to you, Matt.
1: So to Laos, where we look this week at fatalities on a Chinese banana plantation in the central province of Bolakamsai. Now, bananas have obviously been growing in Laos since time immemorial in fields and in people's backyards. But as Laos has shifted toward large scale farming for export, it's attracted investment by Chinese companies looking to grow bananas for export to China. The resulting plantations have grown in notoriety. Because of the heavy use of chemicals used in cultivation. I'm joined by Max Avery, the Deputy Chief of RFA Lao, to talk about the service's recent reporting on the deaths of two Lao people within just two and a bit weeks on one plantation. Welcome, Max. Hello. Hi there. So, first of all, can you tell me about this banana plant? Where is it and who runs it and how many people work there?
2: Actually, this uh, banana plantation is a big one. It's about 500 hectares, and it's located in Borikan district, in Sai province, in central Laos. Currently, this plantation has about 500 workers.
1: And who operates the, the banana farm?
2: This banana plantation, like many others, is owned by a Chinese company. Is called V.S. Company Limited.
1: Okay. Do we know much about the company?
2: No, not much.
1: It's very hard to find out about Chinese companies operating in Laos most of the time. They're not very responsive to journalists. Now, I saw the RFA Laos story about two people who died on this plantation in sai One was at the end of April and another in mid-May. Can you tell me a bit about that? They were
2: both from other provinces, uh, one from Luang Prabang province, the other one from Xiangkwang province, and the latter one is ethnic Hmong. Before they die, they had almost the same symptoms and condition.
1: And what were those symptoms, Max?
2: At first, they have rash on their body, and after that, they cough extensively, like a month, two months before they die, uh, they vomited a lot of blood.
1: Sounds very nasty indeed. Now, yeah. what do we know then about the cause of death in each of these cases?
2: Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Of course, their coworkers believe that these two people uh, die of the chemical because they are exposed to uh, too much chemical. Actually, one of them worked uh, directly with the insecticide and uh, herbicide. He spray these two chemicals in the plantation.
1: But what did the authorities say?
2: After they die, the Chinese owner of this plantation brought in some uh, police officers and also the village chief. And these authority, you know, observed the dead bodies and then concluded, you know, of course with the owner of the plantation that these two workers died of natural causes. So we asked the co-workers, their co-workers, they said that there's no autopsies of these two people, these two bodies were performed.
1: Okay, so it's not very convincing explanation from authorities. Do yeah. we know if anyone else among the workforce on this banana plantation in Bolakamsaya has, has taken ill?
2: Currently, there's one one female workers. Uh, this one uh, is from Luang Prabang province as well, and she's right now both uh, physically and mentally sick. Her co-workers uh, believe that uh, she's so sick because she, you know, exposed to chemical for a long time, more than a year now.
1: How old is she?
2: She's about 30 years old.
1: Okay. So we have one female who's about 30 years old, yeah. who, is, who is sick. We have one 18-year-old man who's died, and we have another 30-year-old man who's died. And not a very convincing explanation from authorities about the cause of death.
2: You know, the district officer who talked to us uh, said that himself, personally, he believed that these two workers died of chemical use.
1: So I think we can safely read in between the lines (laughs) that he doesn't go along with the kind of official explanation that they died of natural causes, Yeah. um, which raises a question whether authorities are doing their job. But has the Chinese company that runs the plantation actually done anything to help any of these people or assist the families of the deceased?
2: All they did was to pay for the transportation of the dead bodies to their villages, like, uh, you know, one in Luong Prabang and the other one in Sieng province.
1: Okay, but they haven't provided any compensation?
2: No, actually, their co-workers complained a lot about this. They uh, expected that uh, the owner of the plantation should have taken these two people to the hospital when they were really sick. But that didn't happen.
1: The lady who is sick now, is she being assisted? No. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. And as you'll know, Laos doesn't have the best healthcare system. It's a tropical climate. It's not a great place to to be sick. I should mention at this point that if any of you can hear an insect-sounding noise in the background of where Max is speaking from, it's not that he's in Laos. He's actually in northern Virginia. And we currently have a plague of cicadas that are making a lot of noise. But anyway, yeah. moving on. So we know that RFA Lao has reported many times about the problems caused by excessive use of chemicals on banana plantations in Laos, particularly banana plantations operated by Chinese companies. Can you tell us, Max, what sort of negative impacts have we heard about before from these plantations? We
2: have uh, reported not long ago that there were Several deaths in uh, northern provinces, more specifically in Bokeo, you know, where there's a lot of Chinese banana plantations, and also in Luang Ta province, uh, neighboring China. So several people uh, died you know, at the plant- at the banana plantations. Also, dozens of people in Bokeo province. They went to they went to hospital to be treated for uh, conditions that is caused by the chemical use at the banana plantation where they worked.
1: And you know, Max, when I visited Luang Ta a couple of years ago, I saw that there were some banana plantations, and it was it was very clear that local people understood the dangers of those plantations and wouldn't let their children go in the plantations because of the chemicals and We spoke to a health worker and talked about how they would treat people who complained of various problems, health problems like urinating blood, liver problems, uh, for workers who've been on banana plantations. So these are not isolated cases. Max, I know that you've reported in the past that the the Laos central government announced a ban on new banana plantations. I think that was back in 2017 but it seems like the ban has been eased. Can you explain what's going on with that? Right now, there's some
2: kind of division of power between the central and provincial governments. And the provincial governments right now have some kind of right to develop their own economy in their provinces. So also they have right to give land concessions, But at the smaller scale, instead of 500 hectare land concession, you know, they have right to give, let's say, 100 hectare land concession. So some governors of the province who want to develop their old economy give land concession, the smaller one. In this case, in Borikamsai province, the, uh, the Chinese investor is very smart. So instead of apply for the land concession for 100 hectare, they apply for five.
1: So they apply for multiple smaller plots of they land smaller plot. to, to end up with a huge plantation. Given that Chinese companies can end up with these massive land concessions, and obviously there's a considerable amount of money that's involved, probably exchanging hands. Do you see that Lao authorities can control what Chinese companies are doing in Laos?
2: The provincial authorities trying to control, they uh, inspect quite regularly these banana plantations. Some banana plantations create a lot of waste, plastic bags or, or, you know, chemicals or whatever chemical wash away to the river something like that.
1: Banana plantations pose quite a risk for the people who work on them, but also there's dangers from pollution and, and runoff of chemicals.
2: Yeah. And the provincial authorities uh, advise them, you know, to get rid of all of those wastes, to build some kind of big container, some kind of sewer system for the waste, for chemical waste.
1: So they asked them to do that, but it seems that Chinese companies are not always following those instructions. Um, Well, Max, thank you very much for explaining about Chinese banana plantations in Laos, which I know is a topic the RFA Laos service has done a lot of reporting on. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Our two nations also share a willingness to engage diplomatically with the DPRK to take pragmatic steps that will reduce tensions as we move toward our ultimate goal of denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula.
0: Last Friday, U.S. President Joe Biden hosted South Korean President Moon Jae-in for a summit at which they shored up their relationship, a 70-year-old alliance, and tried to map out ways of dealing with North Korea and its nuclear program. They painted a broad picture of their plans without a lot of details. To fill us in on what was happening at that summit, we're turning to Kim so young a broadcaster and reporter for RFA's Korean service. Thank you for joining us, so young
3: I'm happy to join today's conversation.
0: What was the most striking thing and the most important outcome from the Biden-Moon meeting?
3: So there was a broad range of issues two leaders talked about, but I will narrow down it to the issues related to North Korea. So I think the most eye-catching news was announcing a new special envoy for North Korea, Song Kim, by President Biden during the press conference after the summit. Many expected that position will be filled in at some point, but I don't think many would have thought that was going to be announced on the same day of the summit. So I'll tell you a little bit about Song Kim. So he is currently serving as an ambassador to Indonesia and was appointed as an Acting Assistant Secretary Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs when Biden took office. He was also involved with working-level talks with North Korean counterparts in the previous Trump administration. So he's considered as a qualified diplomat for the Special Envoy for North Korea. And by the way, um, White House confirmed that he will be still serving the ambassador position. So special envoy will be kind of his part-time job. But some of the South Korean media described this as a Biden's surprise gift for president, which I find it kind of interesting. Um, by announcing a new person in charge, the Biden administration indirectly indicated that the U.S. is preparing to talk with North Korea, which is the center of Biden's policy towards North Korea. Another point I want to stress is that uh, the joint statement included that Biden's North Korea policy will be built on not only the Singapore agreement between the U.S. and North Korea, but Panmunjom declaration between the two Koreas. This was also leaked before the summit by several Korean media outlets And now, the ruling party in South Korea is working on ratifying this in the National Assembly. But to be honest, it's unclear what practical consequences can come out from the Panmunjom Declaration in terms of making the progress of inter-Korean relations or denuclearization.
0: Well, that's uh, some interesting developments. And I can remember uh, Sung Kim from an earlier phase in his career when he was ambassador in Seoul. Now, the Trump government's relationship with South Korea wasn't always smooth because of trade and military base support issues. But Donald Trump did try to reach out to North Korea in ways that probably were welcomed by the Moon administration. Last Friday, what sort of signal came out of the meeting in terms of trying to revive diplomacy with North Korea or supporting North-South relations? You did mention Song Kim, but what are some of the other ones?
3: So from Moon's perspective, He may have welcomed the Trump-Kim Jong-un summit rather than long-lasting silence with the North as there were some talks going on anyways. Moon definitely prefers to have a dialogue with North Korea, but we can feel his frustration that there was no actual progress. And during the press conference after the U.S.-South Korea summit, President Moon stressed that Biden is committed to supporting his effort to promote the inner Korean progress in close consultation with the US. But in reality, there seems not much visible progress the Moon government can make with North Korea in the current situation, as long as you know there's a UN and US sanctions against North Korea continue to be enforced. Economic cooperation with North Korea that South Korea wants seems impossible, and North Korea hasn't been even responding to humanitarian cooperation suggested by South South Korea.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a tough road ahead. Now, they also mentioned human rights as part of their policies towards North Korea. Does that mean something significant as Seoul and Washington try to open ties with Pyongyang? It would seem like it would make it more difficult and make North Korea angry or nervous.
3: As we all know, it's not the first time, you know, that North Korean human rights is discussed, right? Especially the U.S. has criticized the severe violation of human rights by the North Korean regime through like annual reports for many, many years, speeches at the International Forum and so forth. So North Korea, unlike the fact that it was stated in the joint statement, but it, it's not going to be surprised or they're going to show some furious reaction. But I would guess many think it's unusual to hear North Korean human rights issues from President Moon as a South Korean president, as he's been extra careful not to upset Kim Jong-un. And after Moon returned to Korea regarding this matter, South Korean official explained that the human rights are a universal value for humanity, and the term of North Korean human rights have been stated in the joint statement in the past summit several times. And South Korean re- reunification minister also said that Biden's stance on North Korean human rights is much more flexible than the previous Trump presidency. He also assessed that appointing a special envoy for North Korea first, rather than a special envoy for human rights, is much more flexible and wise approach. So we can still sense the, you know, South Korean government is still sensitive about addressing North Korean human rights issues in public, and some say Moon wasn't probably happy to put North Korean human rights in the joint statement, but he did it as a reciprocal exchange for including the Panmunjom declaration, but it's from the unofficial source.
0: Sure, but it does make sense. Diplomacy, even among friends, is give and take. We're almost a week since the summit, and I, if I'm correct, North Korea has yet to really respond. Do you think North Korea will make Seoul and Washington wait a long time before they give a reply to this summit?
3: Many Korean experts I spoke with said North Korea is not likely to respond to either the US or South Korea. I mean, North Korea has been ignoring several invitations from the Biden's team through New York channels, and all the friendly signals from the South for the past few years anyways. At this point, South Korea doesn't have much momentum. And many believe North Korea on regime talks unless the U.S. brings up something about the sanctions relief. For Kim Jong-un, starting talking with the U.S. or South Korea doesn't bring much benefit without any concession. So now the question is, Will the Biden administration give any upfront concessions to the North? It's not likely to happen either because Biden said he or his team is not going to have a meeting with North Korea that could give the international recognition and legitimacy for Kim Jong-un. So unfortunately, with all these efforts by the new Biden administration and desperate messages from Moon, North Korea will stay in silence at least for the next few months while getting closer to China to get economic support or COVID-19 vaccine assistance. North Korea can start minor provocations like short, medium-range missiles tests, but not like ICBM, intercontinental ballistic missiles, or nuclear tests. Meantime, Kim Jong-un will focus on dealing with COVID situation inside North Korea.
0: How do most expert North Korea watchers view President Trump's three meetings with Kim Jong-un? Were they helpful? Were they a mistake? Did North Korea gain anything? Did South Korea or the United States gain anything?
3: No previous president ever made North Korea to give up its nuclear program. One praise for that Trump's bold move toward North Korea, though, is he was anyway the first U.S. president to sit down with Kim, talking face to face. Yes, there was no substantive result on denuclearization, but it is still considered a better strategy than Obama's approach, so-called strategy patience. Overall, I think Kim Jong-un is a winner. Biden pointed out Kim got international recognition as a leader who was sitting down with the U.S. president. Also, while the talks going on between the U.S. and North Korea, most um, U.S. rock joint military exercises were canceled or scaled back. The sanctions enforcement was loosened. He made stronger ties with China, the country who need North Korean cards, while competing with the U.S. So now people are wondering what Biden's North Korea policy really is. And it said something in between Obama and Trump's approach pursuing diplomatic engagement through dialogue, not looking for grand bargaining, but more incremental step-by-step approach. Some still argue that those strategies described by the Biden administration are not really new. The previous administration, for example, during George W. Bush presidency, there was a six-party talks. There was some tentative agreements, diplomatic engagement with North Korea. But in the end, North Korea just walked away and then kept developing its nuclear arsenal. So many agreed that dialogue should be the core approach for North Korea policy than using armed force. But it is still a big question of how to bring North Korea back to the negotiating table. And to do so, how flexible the U.S. can be in terms of offering some sort of concessions to the North. Meantime, maintaining defense readiness and strengthening deterrence towards North Korea. Again, it's a very, very complex.
0: One guarantee though, So Young, is whether big things happen or little things happen or nothing happens, you're going to be busy covering it. So I'm always grateful that you can spare five or 10 or 12 minutes with us to lay out the situation on the Korean peninsula.
1: Thanks again for your time, So Young.
3: Oh, my pleasure
1: thanks so young and paul for bringing us up to speed on the us and south korean deliberations on north korea like you paul i've seen repeated us administrations trying to grapple with the nuclear issue a never-ending saga in both dc and seoul but the results never fail to disappoint
0: that's true it's almost a classic groundhog's day kind of situation and you can Step away from the North Korea beat for a decade and come back like nothing's changed but the names of the players a little bit.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Please join us again next week for another sampling of RFA's coverage. Until then, you can visit our website, rfa.org. Our past podcasts are available on platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Just search for Eyes on Asia. If you have any feedback or suggestions, please drop us a line or attach an audio message. Our email is EOA at RFA.org. It stands for Eyes on Asia. I'm Paul Eckert with Radio Free Asia with Matt Pennington. This series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for
3: listening and please join us again.